and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yeah. How you doing? I'm feeling loose. Uh, yeah, I'd say that's about right. We loosened up. This yeah. is what we do. Peep behind the curtain. I'm sure we've talked about it before. Mm-hmm. We show up. We say we're going to record at, at 8. Today I was running a little late. We say we're going to record at 8.15. Mm-hmm. We end up talking about movies and all the other shit that's going on in our lives. We're both on diets right now, which yeah. is weird. Um, and now here it is, 9.07, and we're finally hitting record. But that's how we get into the groove exactly to bring you people the fantastic show you listen to every right week. i mean people email and they're like tyler david how do you have such great chemistry and we say it's a mystery you know it's not a mystery anymore that's how it goes yeah because we, so. we commit ourselves to at least 45 minutes of chemistry rekindling <laughs> before we record every week right absolutely <coughs> so but, i mentioned uh, we're both on diets well, special thanks real quick uh, oh, to yes. Bill and Mike for being on the show last week. Uh, it was a lot a lot of fun. So much fun. I've, I've gone back and listened to it, and uh, <laughs> man, that thing is chaos. It's fun chaos, and it's more organized than the Goble Fatum show, uh-huh. but, um, but man, that, it's, it's all over the place. But I, like, it's, with episodes like that, I go back and listen, and then I laugh as though I wasn't there. And uh, I, I'm not laughing at the stuff I said because we didn't talk much. Yeah. Um, and uh, and it's just delightful. So thank you very much to Bill and Mike for being uh, on the show. It was uh, a whole lot of fun. Okay. So we are on diets. Yes. I want to get this out of the way. All right. Because I, part of what I want to do, I was telling you that I am committing myself to what is, by my standards, a very strict diet for mm-hmm. the month of January only. And I want to get it out. I thought about tweeting about it. I want to mention it on the podcast because the more people know about it, the more pressure uh, I will have to right. stick to it. Yeah. Uh, I don't have a lot of willpower. Uh, yeah, for the last few days, I kind of wanted to downplay it uh, because, and well, this will tell you my thought process, is it's just like, well, whenever I inevitably fail, which is going to be way sooner than anybody thinks, uh, you know, that's fewer people I have to say, yeah, I failed and I quit because I'm a quitter and that's me. Uh, and so I decided like, I'm not, I don't think I'm going to tell anybody, but it's just like, you know what, whatever, let's, let's just do it. I, and the last few days I've, I've done much better than I thought I would. So I have found that I am okay. I, I'm not, uh, and have never been like obese, mm-hmm. but you know, in recent years, I guess my metabolism has slowed. I have gotten overweight. At this point, I'm about uh, I weigh about 15 pounds more than I would like to. Mm-hmm. Uh, 15 pounds more than the top of the acceptable threshold. Right. I'd like to weigh even. Yeah. I'd like to lose even more than 15 pounds, but that's where I would be uh, at least mostly happy. But what I've found from being on this diet is that um, I think that I think about food the way that a and like a chronic overeater does hmm. e- even though i don't eat all the time i realize just how much of my mind and my planning for the day is taken up with the food that i'm gonna eat well i don't think and there's anything have- necessarily wrong with it. are you talking about like if you if you're planning a certain meal for dinner and it's a few hours before there's, I don't think there's anything wrong with like looking forward to that meal and being like, I can't wait to have that meal. That'll be a lot of fun. I guess, but I mean, I like, I tend to know, like, I'll be at home, 
then I like get ready to go to bed, and I'll be hungry, and I'll have breakfast to bring to work with me, but I'll already know where I'm going to go for lunch the next day. <laughs> that is planning in advance. Yeah, and you I, know what? Maybe it's for me. My whole life is like that because I only ever have a few things. Uh, <laughs> so it's like, well, it's probably going to be one of these three. I like all of them, so this works out well for me. Yeah, I think about food way too much. But the other thing about this diet is uh, that I um, have not had. Anything to drink since I woke up New Year's Day. Alcoholic, you mean? <laughs> yeah, I've had water and tea okay. to drink. That's it. Um, and I am not sure that I have been sober this long since I turned 21. Wow. It's been five days. And, like, I don't know that I've... Because usually if I'm sick, I won't drink. But mm-hmm. I don't tend to get sick for more than three or four days. Right. So... I think five days might be, this might be the longest I've been sober since I turned 21. Do you feel any different? Like physically? Do you uh, notice a difference? Again, I'm going to get all this out here. I'm, you know, uh, I don't like drink to excess every day. I very, actually very rarely um, drink to the point of drunkenness anymore. That happens Mm. uh, once every few months, maybe some sort of special occasion, a party or something. But I do tend to have drinks every day. And a big part because I work my day job and then I usually either come here to record or mm. I go straight out or I go to a, like a press screening. I don't okay, know yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't want to get into what that is, um, but sometimes I have these screening things. Um, and and I also take public transportation. So um, I often don't get home. I like I leave work – I leave the house at 8 in the morning. I often don't get home till maybe 1030 or 11 um, I want to unwind, and so oh, I yeah. tend to got to take the edge off. I tend to turn on the my uh, another peek inside the curtain. I turn on the NHL network to watch the highlights from the day's games, and I pour myself a rum and coke. And then sometimes I pour myself another rum and coke after that. And Natalie's in the kitchen uh, crying. No, she goes to sleep because she gets up and goes to the gym early. Oh, okay. she's much more she's much healthier than I am. Um, and so I have found the past couple nights. Going to sleep stone cold sober is sadly a weird thing for me. Criminally, man, <laughs> you are really putting a lot out there. But not like, again, I'm not like drinking to the point of. Right. It's just, I don't think it's that abnormal to have a drink at the end of the day. Occasionally two drinks at the end of the day. No. Um, but uh, I've I realized that I'm a little bit like lubricated when i go to sleep most of the time and like i've it's taken me a bit longer to fall asleep the past few nights all right that's so what are the effects of your of your diet well uh are you cranky yeah uh very much so um i I, i've cut out soda and i wasn't really drinking a lot of soda i was drinking like one or two uh cans per day usually one these days um, but in eliminating it, but I would go out uh, to coffee with friends on a pretty regular basis, and I would drink a lot of coffee. Um, so I thought I was doing pretty good with caffeine, and then I didn't have it for two days, and I had I had pounding headaches, and I was irritable, very irritable at all my <laughs> friends and at myself, and um, and me being who I am, and uh, I, <laughs> I would do a thing where. Okay, I'll just be honest. The the word fat, f- the phrase fat fuck has been thrown around in my head, which is like, 
how did you let it get to this point, you fat? F-? You know, just like it. That's what it was for for the first few days, uh-huh. and then and just uh, and then I kind of have come out of that a little bit. The headaches uh, persist, but I take care of those. Um, but now I'm getting to well, those a, won't last the whole month. You'll, you'll no, get, I don't think yeah. so. And so, uh, so I'm I'm getting to a point where it's <coughs> where it's becoming tolerable, and it's and it's interesting because uh, I'm doing sort of the 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 Atkins thing, so I'm eating a lot more meat, uh, and that in, and that means like for breakfast rather than have the bowl of cereal that I normally would have, or let's be honest, two or three <laughs> Apple Jacks are good. I don't know what to tell you, <laughs> and so rather than do that, I now make bacon and eggs, both of which are perfectly fine to have. Mm-hmm. And uh, even bacon, which is, you know, greasy as can be, but... Uh, what are you putting in the pan? Uh, I put, for bacon, nothing. What about the, for the eggs? Uh, butter. Butter? So. Uh, I have, this is how strict my diet is. Okay. I have um, switched to uh, either olive oil or using a nonstick pan. No. Well, you're a better person than I am. So, the uh, when I do cook, when I do cook various uh, like meats, like pork chops and chicken and that sort of thing, I do use olive oil for that. Yes, but anyway, and so uh, so here's what I've rediscovered: bacon is awesome. Like I forgot how wonderful it is. It's oh, I I have I never forgot. It's it's one of those things like it, it's sort of. I would be on a when I was younger, like I would go on like a like a food kick for a while, and f- I remember for a long time, it's just like man, bacon is great. And then just for some reason, I, I guess I just didn't have it very often, and then we didn't buy it, and uh, and then I had it again for this, and I was like, oh, wh- why did wh- why did I stop having this? <laughs> this is the this is the best thing. And I was uh, so yeah. So now every morning, I very much. I still am not a huge fan of eggs, but I gotta eat them because um, you can't just have bacon in the morning. That's kind of insane. Uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> and so, although you know, when we lived together in college, there were many mornings that I had just bacon or just bacon on toast. There, you, yes, and I would just have. Uh, oh, and that's the thing is my go-to peanut butter toast. That's out oh, yeah. now. I have peanut butter on celery, which is awful because uh, celery is awful. But you can still have peanut butter. Yeah, you can. Yeah, okay. You can't have a lot of it, right. but you can have some. All right. But uh, but yeah, so it's uh, you know I, I'm sure people. This has nothing to do with film. This whole thing, but uh, people seem to like that uh, look back episode and how much we <laughs> talked about ourselves. So you're welcome, I guess. So so well, let me get into uh, another thing. Um, it'll be a little bit of a thing, and then it'll get it into our main topic. Okay. Um, uh, Monday, I'm home from work. As are uh, I understand a lot of people are, but my girlfriend wasn't. Mm-hmm. So I'm home hungry. Um, uh, and you know, I got, uh, very, I have very, very little to do. Um, I did clean up the apartment. I'm a good boyfriend, good, a good roommate. Um, as, as you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I was, a, I cleaned up when we, you know what? I, I, I did not register that you had said roommate. Uh-huh. I only heard boyfriend, and then you said, as you know, I was like, I don't really pay much attention to your relationships, but okay, sure. No, but you, I, I cleaned up. When we yes, you were, you were very good. You cleaned up more often than I did, and much more thoroughly, I think. Oh, good. Okay, so I, I, I did a little bit of that. But, uh, you know, that takes up not very much time. It's, right. I don't have a mansion. Um, uh, so I watched a movie, a Blu-ray that I had from Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, which we'll get into later. And then, uh, still had a couple hours to kill. Noticed online that at the $3 theater, that's, uh, very close to, 
your place and not too far from my place. Mm-hmm. We we live near each other. Um, Brett Ratner's tower heist was about to start. Yeah. So I disgraced the- Brett Ratner's tower heist. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, vile homophobe Brett Ratner. <laughs> I started. By the way. By I, the way, that uh, vile. That's not new. Like the homophobe <laughs> thing is new, although we all kind of knew it anyway. Uh, the vile thing that's been around a while. Uh, my new thing. This is off topic, and I don't know how you'll feel about this, but because uh, Santorum, Rick Santorum, has been doing well mm-hmm. in the polls. I've taken to referring to him in everyday speech as vile homophobe Rick Santorum. That's where that came from. Because I, people need to remember that he is a vile homophobe. Well, it's there's plenty of. I, I am no, I am no supporter of Rick Santorum. Don't get me wrong. Like there are some people that I do like, and some uh, some people in the race I do like, and some that I don't. And and he, he had this big surge, uh, and. A lot of people are like, oh, he's like he's like Mike Huckabee from a few years ago who won the Iowa caucus, and that's very exciting. And, I, and part of me is like, Mike Huckabee, you may not like him, and that's that's fine. He he tried to back away from, like, not necessarily his beliefs. He wasn't ashamed of them, but it's like, vote for me because I was the a governor of Arkansas, not because I was a pastor. Whereas Santorum just... He, he does a lot of things I don't like about Republicans and about and about fellow you, Christians. Like he just he, I don't think he does it purely for political motive, but it be, like that's what it's all about for him. And it's just like I hate to say it, but not many people are that like economy is the big thing right now, and you're not speaking to any of that. And I think it really speaks to how much Republicans don't care for Mitt Romney that they are entertaining every single person except him. That. I've heard the term presumptive nominee tossed around about Mitt Romney. Yeah. And I think I had this theory that it's liberals who are presuming he's the nominee because he's the nominee that liberals would be most likely to vote for if that's the only option they had. Uh, Probably. I mean, they do, like, Ron Paul has certain liberal uh, appeal, as does John Huntsman, but John Huntsman's not really an entity in this John Huntsman's liberal appeal is the fact that he's a Captain Beefheart fan, right? (laughs) Damn right. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> that's the thing. He's somebody – he's not unlike Mitt Romney, by the way, in far, as far as like his demeanor. And I don't mean just because they're both Mormon, but they just – they kind of have a, a that similar just kind of uptight demeanor. And yet picturing him sitting, I have to assume, bolt upright, bolt upright in his chair, listening to Captain Beefheart, <laughs> it, it does not compute. Okay. Um, hold on. What was I going to say? Presumptive nominee. Why – why? What is it that Republicans don't like a bit about Mitt Romney? Is it the Mormon thing because so many Republicans are, Actually, are Christian, no. or is it like the health care? It's thing? the health care thing. I think okay. um, the the that idea. Makes sense. People say that he was you know more moderate, and there's not. I don't think people hate that term, but in the Republican Party, it's like, well, if you're anywhere even close to Obama, well, then, and he's closer to Obama than these guys are, so we don't like that. But it's like, well. He also is – that's the reason he is viewed as more, much more electable than the others because, because he actually does have a larger appeal. Once you get, the, once you get into appeal. the general, he's going to have to – exactly. he's going to have to be more moderate. Exactly. Okay. It's, a, it's a very strange yeah. thing. But, but the uh, other thing I was going to say is that uh, I'm, I'm glad you didn't uh, – that you're okay with me really disliking Rick Santorum because, okay – Obviously, my views tend to line up a little more with the left. I have some mm-hmm. uh, more conservative uh, views on some topics, but generally I'm with the left. So there aren't a lot of Republican um, you know, candidates that I'm 
crazy about in any sense. Mm-hmm. But there are the ones that I disagree with very, very strongly. And then there's Rick Santorum, whom I just outwardly dislike because he is a vile, vile homophobe. And he's got... He, he has such a... I do not consider Andy Samberg on SNL to be a good impressionist. He's got Rick Santorum down. Just like it. vaguely angry, uncomfortable in his own skin, uh, and just like just like shifting around like, oh, I just can't believe I have to be here with people. Like, just, that seems to be his general thing. And I just, uh, I mean, here's the thing. Like he's, he, I've, I've, like I said, I've watched like debates and I've watched interviews and stuff. And, and he, he's, he seems to be like a good man in some respects. And when he talks about like his family, like I, I really feel like he's not exploiting that for his own political gain. And it's just like, Oh, it's, that's interesting. I'd like more of this, like a, a, a gentler, person but uh but then like when it comes time to like all right time to campaign and i'm going to represent just the just the not necessarily the worst there are there have been worse i have to assume um (laughs) but uh because i I remember not liking giuliani in spite of the fact that he was moderate it's just his answer to everything four years ago three years ago was 9 11 that's all he ever said so so santor but don't worry santorum's gonna go like everyone else He's going to go down, especially once people are like, oh, look at all the interviews he's giving, talking about how much he defends the idea of earmarks. That's not going to go over well. Um, so do you you think it'll be Mitt Romney? You think oh, yeah. the, the, the party will come to his senses and say, this is the guy who could beat? Yes. Uh, I, th- I think it'll be that. And I think it's just, it's like, it's one of those things like he has stayed at the solid. I'm sorry, everybody. I have been following this quite a bit. He's stayed um, at the, at the solid 25%. Everybody else comes up to like 30% and then goes back down. Bachman, Perry, Kane, oh, Gingrich, Santorum. He's the tortoise. He's the tortoise. He's also, as they said on SNL, does a really good job with Romney. He is Forrest Gump. <laughs> and and the country is Jenny. They'll try everyone else. They'll sow their wild oats. And he'll just be there waiting. <laughs> Good old uh, boring Forrest Gump. All right. So um, I saw Tower Heist. Okay. Um, and uh, upon leaving the theater, I, I jumped on Twitter. Um, I'm in like a, a sort of somewhat tweet-heavy phase right now. I go mm-hmm. through uh, periods. Uh, but I was like, I want to tweet. And <laughs> what I tweeted... Um, I got to do something instead of drink, right? Was, yeah, was my sort of... Uh, Surprise that I didn't hear more people defending Tower Heist because it is it is a pretty decent movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got some problems, most of them in terms of just sheer physics. Um, I'm I'm pretty sure. I don't think this is a major spoiler. I'm pretty sure that a single elevator can't hold eight people, a dog, and a motherfucking Ferrari. I, I don't think that. Is it, a, is it a freight elevator? No. It might. It's a regular elevator. I don't think that even if the Ferrari's on top of the elevator, I don't think that can happen. <laughs> I don't think you can hang uh, a Ferrari out the window of a building by hooking it at one point. I feel like you're just going to hit – you're going to keep that part. The rest of the car is going to break off and fall to the ground. I, I There's lots of things I don't think would Ferraris work. are put together well. That's all I can Most say. Most of them having to do with the Ferrari thing, but there are some <laughs> other uh, things that, that don't work and that really bothered me. Um, 
uh, like Matthew Broderick risks his life to get the Ferrari in the lower window, but then they don't know what to do with it until Casey Affleck comes along. It doesn't make any sense. You didn't think the plan out more than just get the Ferrari down a few floors and Matthew Broderick almost dies for a plan that you didn't have. You had point A to B, but you didn't have the rest of the plan. It really bothered me. Anyway, this is not the point. The point is that it is generally a fun movie that largely steers clear of um, the cringing uh, stereotype type humor that I was expecting from Brett Ratner Mm -hmm. um, and, frankly, from latter period Eddie Murphy. Yep. Um, I mean, there's a little bit of it, but it comes back to character. There are ways that are defensible by character, uh, and so I was I was okay with that. Um, I liked that, you know, uh, it. I, I liked that it's very sort of timely, like the 99 percent against 1 percent theme, mm-hmm. you know, um, and that it was consistent in that theme, not just introducing it and then moving on to the heist thing. It really was about that. And um, and by the way, if you're one of those critics, like I love J.R. Jones for Chicago Reader, uh, mm. I really do. He's actually one of my favorite and most read critics. But when he says like, uh, if you want to see a bunch of rich people uh, whine about your problems, uh, rich actors is what he means. It's mm-hmm. like, come on, we're not in high school anymore. Like, have some pragmatism. The actors are rich. God forbid. That's what you need to. Be. That's that's. That's just a baseline. Just mm-hmm. get over it. They're rich. Rich people's opinions are worth uh, worthwhile as well. Anyway, that's my rant at J.R. Jones, who will never hear this or care. Um, you don't know that. <laughs> He's a big fan of Bill Dwyer. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I liked that. I, I liked that the, the, the cast was a lot of different colors. A, uh, a few too many of the leads are white. Mm. Um, which is disappointing given that the original idea for the film was that it would be, uh, it was pitched as a quote unquote black oceans 11. And then they kept changing uh. the characters to white, but there are obviously Michael Pena is in it. Gabri, uh, Sidibe, Eddie Murphy. Um, and there's a number of other, uh, black and Hispanic and Asian characters in the movie. Um, which is realistic, uh, in terms of a portrait of what the staff at a hotel. Right. Uh, or or, or uh, an apartment building would look like, um, and, and it was uh, it was fun. It could have, it could have used a few more jokes, but it was it was fun. Um, How is I know that I, this might go against the uh, sort of the multiracial thing for me to ask about Alan Alda, the whitest of the yeah. of the cast but he's members. Supposed to be right. He's the, he's the one character. Right. You could turn all the other characters uh, black. He's the character who needs to be white. Exactly. But but I just feel like my concern is with him because I'm a jerk. <laughs> no, he's but, great. And that's that to me, this is a, a side note. With heist movies like that, you need to really establish not merely the pure evil of – not pure evil, but you know what I mean? Like the, the powerful – Antagonism. Antagonism of, of the uh, antagonist. Um, but uh, you need to make him like able – and capable and intelligent, and yeah. it's 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 one of the reasons why I think Ocean the the Soderbergh Ocean's Eleven works is because Andy Garcia it's it's a great performance and he's written very well. And it's like this guy is smart and capable, and it probably would take eleven professional con artists and thieves to rip this guy off. 
And so that's why when I saw like this huge cast and there's Alan Alda, who is a wonderful actor, but I hate to say it, he is getting a bit older and maybe he, and my concern is that he might appear somewhat frail. No. Okay. I mean, the movie starts with him swimming laps in his pool. Okay. That's so it's like all establishing right, so, that he is not. Okay. Not that's frail. good. Um, anyway, all, the, all that aside, uh, I had a, I had a very fun time watching tower heist. Okay. Um, and so I tweeted surprised that I didn't hear more people defending it because there was so much negativity around it when it came out. A lot of it having to do with Brett Ratner and his uh, vile homophobia. Um, That uh, I guess the, in retrospect, as you pointed out to me, the reviews weren't awful. I think they just got kind of drowned out. And so I was uh, surprised that I hadn't heard more about that. And maybe I didn't. Ma- I, I know I didn't make that all, all that clear in my first tweet. I just said, "How hey, how come no one told me that Tower Heist was good?" Mm-hmm. Uh, just a one-off tweet turned into an hours-long thing of people not being able to, I guess, swallow the idea that I liked Tower Heist. Yeah, I mean, you run across that from time to time. Just uh, the fact that you are unwilling to just condemn something roundly. Uh, means that you love it completely and uh-huh. it's just like come on twitter you don't have to be this black and white i recognize that in 140 characters there's not gonna be a lot of nuance right but come on um but yeah you you do run across that from time to time so i'm yeah. sorry that you had to go through that uh, i just wa- i just wanted to get it out there and uh I-, I wanted the people who got mad at me on twitter <laughs> where i have 1200 followers to know what that- does that have to do with anything that no, does uh, okay to know that now, because they got mad at me, I'm being I'm praising Tower Heist on my podcast, which has way more than 1,200 uh, people uh, listening. Yeah, or, I'd say that. that's about right. A, a bit more. No, no, <laughs> a way, way, you know, a, a good significant size. percentage more. Yes, significantly more than 1,200 people yeah. now are hearing my pro Tower Heist opinion because you didn't like it. So take that, Twitter people. And you call David a contrarian. <laughs> Um, anyway but this brings me uh, the real thing I was thinking about that day um, I mentioned the Tower Heist could have had more laughs Mm -hmm. another movie I watched that day that I liked a lot more um, uh, that I I had mentioned earlier I watched a Blu-ray at home uh, that also maybe could have had a few more laughs um, was Attack the Block Mm -hmm. Um, and so I started thinking um well, neither of these is a straightforward comedy. Why am I expecting more laughs? Yeah. So I started thinking about the idea, in general, of genre hybrid movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and, so, I mean, uh, well, let's get into it, shall we? I, I want to talk about the different... I want to start off by talking about the difference between movies that... Clearly, someone said, like, hey, let's do a mix of this genre right. and this genre. Um, and, you know, it, it'll be, it's very sort of knowing in that way. Mm-hmm. And then things that are just regular movies that get shoehorned into, like, well, that's an action comedy or, or that's, right. a, that's a horror western or whatever. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I have any horror westerns on here um, on my list. But, uh, uh, do you have any any thoughts on that? Uh, because I guess what I'm saying is that 
neither of those films, Attack the Block nor Tower Heist, feels like a self-conscious hybrid. Mm-hmm. Feels like I'm bringing that to it. Like, well, Brett Ratner has made things that are nominally comedies in the past, and it's got uh, Ben Stiller and Eddie Murphy, both of whom are very, mm-hmm. very funny, uh, or have been very funny. Uh, Michael Pena, who is uh, always awesome. Casey Affleck is is funny. It's got funny people in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I'm just expecting a comedy. Yeah, and um, that's not really fair because that's not. Uh, yeah, it is kind of. Uh, in, in when you told me about the, this this topic, and I was thinking about it, I I just found myself getting frustrated because we've talked before about. I, I I I don't think I would put this on the audience. I could put it on studios. I could put it on uh, exhibitors and uh, distributors. Uh, I would I would couple in like video stores with that, um, and just this need to simplify things. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we both worked at video stores, and there's the drama section, the comedy section. Like there is no comedy drama section there is no drama horror section there you know it's it goes in one or the other and i remember i would frequently as i was putting movies back on the shelf be like what is this doing here and then part of me is like well where else would i put it it doesn't go into any of these easily Uh um and so you know i was often surprised to see how much woody allen was in the drama section and how much uh like wes anderson was just straight up in the comedy section Mm -hmm. and how many like suspense films that were just that were there's no question they were just suspense films were in the horror section like it's right. just like seven or something being in horror <laughs> you know what there's there's a grizzly there's a grizzly quality to seven that i say like okay sure i mean like the boston strangler with tony curtis like oh, right aside for like that's like putting zodiac in in horror in horror yeah it's I guess there's horrific things to it. I mean, if you there want to look at it that way. There's horrific things in Zodiac, but... Um, no, or, or in the Boston Strangler, which I haven't seen. And, like, and there's some grisly imagery in, like, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, but I'm not sure... And it is largely considered to be horror, but that seems like more of a drama to me. Um, and so so I, I just started thinking in those terms, and I went through various... Uh, I'm not sure if I'd say these are the most common genre hybrids, but the first ones to pop into my mind, but that like how often people are just, and, and I'm probably like this as well. They will only think of this a certain way when it is clearly supposed to be a mix of the two. Um, one that I actually didn't write down, but I'm just thinking of now. Like, I mean, is, is Scott Pilgrim an action movie or a comedy? Um, yeah, that's that's a good point, and that's um, I mean Edgar Wright's one of the guys who's very good at it. Um, but Scott Pilgrim was different than Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz mm-hmm. because um, those are I think the thing I'm talking about where they're self conscious about their about right. mixing. Whereas yeah, Scott Pilgrim is is both, and I think that's um, I don't feel the need to call it an action comedy. Mm-hmm. I can call it a comedy if I'm talking about it in comedic terms, and I can call it an action film if I'm talking about it in action terms. I recently said that it on on Twitter. I've been, like I said, been tweet happy um, that it was uh, one of the top five action movies of the last five years. Because mm-hmm. I was doing this thing, I was thinking, oh, I'm really excited to see Mission Impossible Four, which I still haven't done. 
because I love Mission Impossible 3, and then I was like, oh, Apocalypto came out that year, too. That was a good year for action movies. That was five years ago. Mm. I wonder what the five best action movies to have come out since uh, Mission Impossible 3 and Apocalypto are. Mm-hmm. And so I tweeted them, and I don't even remember what they were. Right. Did that? <laughs> did that? Did including Scott Pilgrim, did that get any sort of reaction? No. I think okay. the – well, that's because <laughs> the distraction was that I included uh, uh, Antoine Fuqua's shooter on, on my list, ah, yes. which I still defend to this day. I know. And I think it is a, is a wonderful film. Um <laughs> But most, yeah, most of the responses were like shooter, really. But you'd be surprised. Well, maybe maybe you wouldn't, but I think people would be surprised how often uh, critics. I think when you're dealing with comedy, especially, how often critics say that like too much action or too much visual effects ruins the laughter because laughter needs to feel spontaneous, and few things feel more choreographed than an action sequence, even. Even if it's even if it doesn't feel choreographed, the knowledge that it is makes the laughter not work. And right. this goes back. I remember while Ghostbusters was generally loved, there were there were a handful of people who said like, I don't know, I don't know if special effects and comedy go well together. Um, and I'm sure. And I think I, I seem to recall of reading some reviews about Scott Pilgrim. It's just like, I mean, the action was so well done that I I, I was. I don't think they spoke this hyperbolically, but I'll I'll use this. It's like I I was so breathless that I had no breath left over to laugh, you know. Uh-huh. And it's just, but I still think that's. I mean, um, I think that's valid. That I think special effects and comedy is a hard thing to pull off. Not all films are Scott Pilgrim right. or, or or Ghostbusters, which I mean, Ghostbusters is um, less funny toward the end. Uh, right, I, I think um, when the special effects become bigger, but Ghostbusters is on my list for other reasons because it starts off with with a legitimate horror scene. Oh yeah, uh, but I mean, look at movies like Evolution. You know, um, that's directed by Ivan Reitman. Ivan Reitman, yeah. I mean, that's the perfect example of CG and like big, you know, visual effects and comedy just not working because the comedy clearly took a backseat and like right. Orlando Jones and David Duchovny clearly both think they're in different types of comedies. Have you, have you seen the film? <laughs> I saw it. Yeah. It is uh, uncomfortable to watch. Yeah. It's not good. Um, well, I do want to focus on, on uh, Ghostbusters a little bit because what I, one thing that I like about it, what? I was thinking of the part from evolution that makes me laugh, which is what, which is the interview with the redneck guy who got his hand bitten off by an alien. I don't remember that. part. He's just like talking in this sort of like, drawl and he's like i saw it uh walked over to check on it jumped up and then he holds up his thumb he's like it took my hand <laughs> who do you know who plays i the, don't i bet it's somebody of note um <laughs> but uh you know it's it's interesting uh i've been for no particular reason i've been oh no that's not true there is a specific reason somebody i don't remember who uh it was no, I don't remember who, but that that's okay. Uh, tweeted or put on Facebook a photo, a rather sad photo of Ernie Hudson, um, at a one of those conventions where you you know where celebrities sign photos and and that sort of thing. That doesn't necessarily make it sad. What makes it sad is that he's in his Ghostbusters outfit. All right, and it's just like ah, oh, that's unfortunate. Um, and so I've been thinking a lot about Ghostbusters, and part of me is like. It's like, you know what? My first instinct was like, oh, that's sad. And then I was like, it's Ernie Hudson. He was in Oz. He was in, yeah. you know, he's he's doing fine. Yeah. He's just doing this thing as well. 
And so, uh, so at my, I, I, I'm like, I don't need to pity this guy. He, he'll be fine. And he's a good actor and all that. And so, um, but it got me thinking about Ghostbusters in general and, and some of the stuff that I, uh, that I love about it is how much, and maybe this is why it works from a script standpoint as a comedy with major special effects, supernatural undertones. And even at the end, when the laughs are not quite as big, the character of Peter Venkman is such a such an unusual character. He n- pretty much never he doesn't have a single line that I'm aware of, a single line that is not glib and funny right. and making a wisecrack. Now the, now Bill Murray will sometimes give a facial expression that says, "I understand the, the circumstances." Mm-hmm. But he never has a line that that says, "Okay, enough joking, let's get to it." Like Yeah. He even said, like, even when he's calling, when he when he first sees that Dana Barrett, uh, Sigourney Weaver, is possessed, and he calls back to you know the other Ghostbusters and says like, hey, here's the situation. The way he phrases it, he's like, it would appear the goes is uh, putting the moves on my would be girlfriend. It's just like you're concerned for her, right? <laughs> and he is, but that's the thing is the film is so committed to being a comedy mm-hmm. that. In any other circumstances, when the when the characters would be like, "All right, look, we're all going to die, so let's stop making jokes," the film's like, "We're not going to do that. We're going to do something else." And and that's why it works as a comedy. And that's and somehow it makes the special effects. I don't know. It, it they have more power when they're not calling attention solely to themselves. Does that make any sense at all? Like, if it's just, if it's like, okay, the com- we've had the comedy, now it's time for the effects. It's like, no, the comedy's still going to be here, and that makes the effect, it makes everything in the proper proportion. And that's why I think it's certainly first and foremost a comedy, but there are, speaking as somebody who was raised in the church, I still pl- know plenty of people who, like, I wasn't comfortable with, uh, I don't necessarily agree with these people uh-huh. but they're like i don't i don't i don't feel comfortable watching that that movie all this demonic stuff and i was like it's a comedy uh-huh. what but that's the thing for some for some people like they do such a good job of evoking like like that first scene it's genuinely frightening yeah they do such a good job with that that i guess for some people it's just as much a not necessarily a horror movie but just as much a supernatural thing yeah as it is a comedy yeah um, I spent way too much time talking about Ghostbusters. I apologize. But the, the thing you're talking about when like things getting serious, it's why um, uh, as much as there are part, uh, there's a lot of things about uh, Martin Brest's um, Beverly Hills Cop mm-hmm. that I that I like uh, a lot. The climactic shootout is just a bummer because there's like yeah. there's no jokes in it, and Martin Brest is not a director of action. It's yeah. a really stodgy and boring shootout. Um, and you kind of like, uh, uh, I guess forget that it's supposed to be a comedy and you, and you lose it. And so for all the, right. all the greats, I mean, the best action thing that happens in Beverly Hills cop is the opening with the runaway truck. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there it's, it's all downhill action wise. And so yeah. that as successful and popular as Beverly Hills cop is, I don't think it is I mean, successful financially. I don't think it is a successful hybrid. Whereas... Um, Eddie Murphy does star in one of the all-time most successful action comedy hybrids for me, which is 48 Hours, mm-hmm. which is a movie that 
seems to come up on this podcast a lot, actually. Well, from you, because I haven't seen it. Uh, I I love it. You've got to see it. I know. I'm a, I'm a fan of Nick Nolte, and I feel like I would I would like that a lot. You know what? We've always, for five years almost, we've been doing this podcast, and we have talked so often about le- releasing a special features like our own personal commentary tracks oh, yeah. for like movies that come up a lot. We should still do that, and I think 48 Hours should be on the list, because that yeah. is a movie that I love. Um that's that's one that works, and um, uh, I think maybe because it's from uh, a, an action director, and he just like, um, you know, he uh, he told Eddie Murphy he wasn't making a comedy. Mm-hmm. He just uh, let I mean Eddie Murphy at that time was at the top of his game and probably couldn't help being funny, right. if occasionally a vile homophobe. Um, <laughs> but uh, so he made. He made it an action movie first, and I think that was um, that was a good choice that that he made because that was that's where he was comfortable. And so, it isn't one of those movies like Beverly Hills Cop, who's where it's like, okay, this is a comedy scene, this is Eddie Murphy and Bronson Pinchot, right. and then this is an action scene with a runaway truck. You know, it not going back and forth. It's a it's pretty much an action film throughout with jokes. Now the uh, before I. Sorry. Before I let you, because I usually have something to say, I also mm-hmm. want to bring up the single greatest action comedy of all time, and maybe one of the most successful genre hybrids of all time. Uh, one of the funniest movies of all time for me, Midnight Run. Oh yeah, uh, that one almost doesn't need to be in this conversation because it's like, you know what? There's no way to analyze it. They just did it. They made the perfect action comedy. Yeah, and and I guess this. This leads into what I was going to say, which is actually more of a question that might change, uh, I don't know, might change the direction of the conversation a little bit. Um, you know, you mentioned that, you know, 48 Hours or, or uh, uh, Beverly Hills Cop is like first and foremost, it's this genre and and that it maybe doesn't work that way. But that like in talking about a lot of these movies, they are usually, it can be described, they are first and foremost this. They are maybe mm-hmm. 60 to 70 percent this genre with 30 percent this genre. And and the and so part of me feels like well maybe that's maybe that's why they're you know categor- so easily categorized this way even if some of us who this is going to sound really uh, pompous I apologize some of us who attempt to take a more nuanced look at genre and that sort of thing um, would be quick to say like wait that's a comedy what about this scene you know or what about that and it's like well you got to put it somewhere. Um, and if it's mostly a comedy with this dramatic scene, then it's mostly a comedy. Um, and so can you think of any off the top of your head that are 50, 50? Oh man, that's a, and I don't mean the movie 50, 50, which from what I understand is a pretty good drama comedy. Um, I mean, uh, I think I, I really do think midnight run works, uh, as, as, as both. Right. Um, and and forty eight hours, but I think forty eight hours is probably sixty forty action. Yeah. Um, but in but, both in both instances, I'm sorry to interrupt uh, again. Okay. But uh, in both instances, I wonder if they're they're comedies, they're action movies. But even before those, because those pr- strike the proper balance, it's a buddy movie. Mm-hmm. And in focusing on you know character, this is this is a, this is a side note. Um, so we've been talking recently a lot about formalism, mm-hmm. you know, as something that, that you, how you approach, approach film. And, uh, and so that 
uh, immediately made me look inward and uh, think that I'm not doing something right. And uh, <laughs> but it got me, you know. I, I, as listeners know, I'm more of a character person. I'm more of a drama and mm-hmm. screenwriting. Not that I can't ap- appreciate formalism. I enjoyed Drive, even if you didn't. Which you're you're not liking Drive. I don't want to get. We'll, well get okay. into this later. That's why it I've makes so, so little sense to me. That's why I've started to like. That's a formalist dream. I- introduce like the term structuralism because I think okay. that might be more actually. Because the thing is, I don't appreciate good form on its own. If I did, okay. I would like Drive more than I did, and maybe I wouldn't even hate Shame as much as I did. Okay. Um. Uh. But when the form, because, uh. Film is a four-dimensional art. It Mm -hmm. takes place over a certain amount of time. So just because it's a bunch of beautiful images isn't enough for me. To me, I appreciate the form when it is used to convey the entire piece, be it a story or be it an emotion or be it whatever the filmmaker is trying to get across. I like the form as... So you don't like it divorced of context, which I think many people who said formal... It's like, the editing is wonderful. Yeah, but did you care about anything happening in it, yeah, and that's and that's maybe why I've um, okay. So structuralist is what we're saying. Structuralism now. has more to do. My understanding is using um, the way that the piece is put together to illustrate the 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 themes or motifs or or, okay. or what have you. Okay, so some blend of formalism and structuralism is maybe how I. Well, if that's the case, I think I'm actually. I would not say I am a structuralist, but I do kind of lean more towards that. Um, but. One thing that I've that I've come to really embrace as I've uh, looked inward um, and come out of the uh, con- self condemnation uh, is the this realization is like character can be such a powerful thing that we are if we have good enough characters written well enough and there's enough there and they're played well that's another big thing um, then they really do they are our anchor. Even and they are. I, I used this on uh, more than one lesson recently. They are the constant in a movie full of variables. They mm-hmm. give us something to hold on to, and that is why, by the way, I think the new Star Wars movies don't work, and the old ones do because we have someone like Han Solo and Luke Skywalker, people that are way closer to us that who we can understand. Whereas by the time you know Qui Gon Jinn already's got it all worked out, uh-huh. and so um, and why the Matrix works, by the way. But anyway. Something like Midnight Run, it can have action sequences, and then it can have goofy jokes uh-huh. because it is grounded, anchored by strong characters. That's It's a buddy movie first. And I think any, I would say almost any film that attempts to explore genres, uh, you know, different genres in, in one film, I think... If they work, it is probably because the characters serve as our guide. They inform how we react to things. I mean, I'm looking at, at my list here, and and well, I'll go back to I'll go back to Ghostbusters as opposed to Evolution. Uh, I forgot David Duchovny was in it until you just said it. I remembered uh, Orlando. Oh, Evolution. Yeah, yeah I, rem- he's I remember. I remember. He's not in Ghostbusters, right? He played Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> so. That's one of the dumbest jokes, and I make it so often. And so um, I remember, I remembered uh, Orlando Jones, but that was basically it. There's also, is it Julianne Moore? Is she in it? Yeah. Okay. But like, I don't, I don't know any of those characters. I don't have a strong sense of them. I have a strong sense of P 
Peter, Ray, Egon, Winston, Lewis, Slimer, uh, Janine. Like that's a that's a long ro- uh, Dana. Like I that's a long roster of characters. Rick Moranis. That's Lewis. Oh right. And so, um, like I know I know them by name, you know, as opposed to. Oh, the actor who played this. What's the name of David Duchovny's character in Evolution? Who, who, knows? who knows? Who cares? I bet even he couldn't tell you. And that's not, that's, a fu- that's, that's not a function of him. That's a function of it being written poorly. And so with those strong characters in Ghostbusters, I would have gone with them really. They could have in- introduced like, I mean, there's, there's seeds of romance in there. There's horror. There's comedy. Like they could have added in probably a few more. Uh, a few more genres, and yeah. I still would have gone as gone along with them and been on board all the way, uh, because I was with. I got such a strong sense of who these characters were. Yeah, that's that's why I, I think the thing I'm going to keep coming back to is that trying to make them one thing or another, um, uh, or, or 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 just limit them to the hybrid mm-hmm. is probably hurts the your ability to, I guess be critical of them or, or analyze analyze them. We've been talking pretty much every hybrid I think every hybrid we've talked about so far has included comedy. Yes. Um and I want to I think there's two reasons why that's like the biggest hybrid. Um I think because um A it goes along with j- genres well because comedy like action and like horror benefits from a heightened reality. Mm-hmm. Um uh, but also because I think that um, this will go to something we've talked about so many times that most of the best dramas, um, both film and TV, um, have plenty of funny stuff in them. You know, Good uh, Goodfellas is the example we usually go to. Is not and Sopranos is the TV version the, of that. Yeah, but also Deadwood, one of the funniest shows ever. On Even TV. The Wire is pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, um, th- those aren't thought of as comedies, but they're they're hilarious. I yeah. mean, Deadwood has big laughs in every episode. Yeah. Um, and I think that's because that's the, I think the best sort of storytellers, especially if there's, um, if they're uh, trying to uh, like capture any sense of verisimilitude, understand that life is funny. You uh, you laugh. You probably laugh at least once a day. Yeah. Uh, at, at at something. I you know I hope you do. Um, and that's the thing is like you mentioned comedy benefits from a heightened reality, but it's interesting because comedy also helps to sell a stark realism. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, um, I, I'm going to come back to it because, uh, never mind why, but, um, shame movie. I really didn't like recent movie. I really didn't like, Mm -hmm. um, that's a big part of it. It's not, it's not funny. And I think maybe you haven't seen it yet. No, no, yeah. Like, I think James Badgedale, bless his heart, as an actor, is trying to bring some some of that to it in his character as Michael Fassbender's boss. Do you know who James Badgedale I is? I don't, actually. I don't know what... I'm not sure what movies he's done. He, I know him from Rubicon, the TV show, and okay. I guess he was also on The Pacific, which I didn't see. Uh, was he in 310 to Yuma? I don't know. Was he? Yes, I believe so. I think he was the representative of uh, the rail, railroad. Okay. Um, I think so. I'm not 100%, but I think okay. that's him. Um, like, I, I watching Shame. I felt I I felt bad for James Badgedale as an actor because he's like, have you ever been like in a conversation? It's you and two other people, and they are 
not having it conversationally and all you want to do is like break the ice and like trying to make things comfortable and like you're trying to talk to them and you're trying to get everyone to be on the same page like that's what i feel like james badgedale was doing he's like (laughs) trying to make this movie bearable well and you know having not seen the film like i have been in those circumstances where i'm trying to make everything a little better here's what i do i make a joke uh-huh. Like yeah. it, it, there's a re- like there's a reason that you'll find comic relief in every genre because we we look for that release not merely in the film in life we look for that release I mean you and I okay we went to Halloween Horror Nights uh-huh. and I'm I don't consider myself to be easily frightened but I was on edge because <laughs> every things are constantly jumping out at you and it's startling that's the nature of what it is and so. <laughs> I found myself making jokes because it, it, and if, if I was tense, I'm less tense now. It relieves the tension. And that's why comedy can go with pretty much every genre. I mean, I get, I guess drama could too, but I think drama isn't really a genre. It's just, I think the a natural default of any situation, <laughs> right. but that's why if you, if you find any hybrid, chances are comedy is in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but I do want to. Uh, we should move on to because well, we got to. I was wrap thought up of another another example of something that does it does it right and maybe does fifty fifty or maybe it's thirty three thirty three thirty three. Okay, uh, the Princess Bride. Oh, okay. I mean that's it's really no. It's not even thirty three thirty three thirty three. It is one hundred percent an action film. Yeah, one hundred percent a comedy and one hundred percent a fantasy, and one hundred percent a love story. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's four things all at the same yeah. time, and it doesn't ever have to switch off by the yeah. way i got that blu-ray for christmas it's a very what? good present no all right okay. I, got, I got a great girlfriend um yeah i i remember uh i think even on this show i've said that i'm not a huge fan of that but i think the more i think about it the i think i've come around on it i i found some of the humor to be a bit glib um but that's all right whatever yeah. like I, I, I don't care anymore it's uh i like that as i'm getting older i'm becoming more forgiving and not less um i and wish that were true of me <laughs> We'll we'll see what we can do. Um, we just eh, never mind. I was going to make a joke. I'm not going to. Um, I was looking at my best of I was um, from 2008, and I was like, oh, how, pedest- how pedestrian. <laughs> oh no, it's uh, I'm I'm forgiving of everyone uh, but me. But it's <laughs> but no, that's that doesn't mean. Here's the thing: is like that doesn't mean that you're that. I don't think that that means that my tastes are getting worse. You know, being forgiving of something doesn't mean that uh, everything is good. But, right. you know, you you saw some good things about Tower Heist, and as such, you were unwilling to write it off, as opposed to some people. They would just say, like, Brett Ratner, I get it. No, thank you. Right. They either wouldn't Eddie, even see Eddie it. Eddie Murphy hasn't been funny in a long time. They wouldn't even either wouldn't even see it, or they would go in with such a preconceived idea that no matter – that they would only – only the bad things about the film would register – and any good parts maybe were incidental and, if it registered at all. Yeah, and I say if you sit to that movie and you don't laugh at the scene where Eddie Murphy says the word bobby pin over and over again in his angry thug guy voice, then you're trying not to laugh because it's hilarious. All right, I guess uh, <laughs> context is everything here. Um, but uh, where on earth were we headed? Uh, that was I was just tangent. talking about why comedy is attached to everything and, and maybe mm-hmm. using that as a segue into maybe some other right other hybrids i think it, uh, one that um 
you and I, I'm, I can see actually both have on our list because it's something we talk about a lot, um, is Alien, mm-hmm. which is, um, uh, I, I mean, I think if you asked 100 people on the street what genre is Alien, 50 of them would say sci-fi and 50 of them would say horror. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think that's another one that just, it just does it right. And if you want to complicate things further, Aliens. That is it horror, sci-fi, action, or drama? Because as far, I mean. Again, I think they're all drama. Because if it's if right. basically if you're telling a story, that's drama. That's true, but at the same time, there are plenty of horror movies where you don't you don't care about what's going on. I those aren't very good horror movies. Maybe I mean they're like, uh, I don't really care about any of the characters in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I care about them. Th- I care about them because they've done nothing to deserve this. I see what you're saying, but that's basically it. That's a good. Um, so I don't consider that to be very dramatic. Whereas the plight of Ellen Ripley, uh-huh. that is dramatic. Right. I'm it, it. The film is invested in her character and how she is changing, and so that makes it a drama, as as far as she's concerned. But in I'll I'll go to Aliens. I, I didn't write it down, but I'll go to Aliens. But you know, you talk to. There, there are major action elements in that film, but I mean that when I was a kid, that movie scared the hell out of me. I mean, aliens coming out of the walls, and I mean it's it's very frightening. Um, and there's plenty of sci-fi in there, and it's just uh, and to to add to the the drama element, like her relationship with Newt, and I don't know. There's there's a lot going on in that film, but to, I'm going to sound like a, a broken record. I apologize, but uh, but because we are so rooted in Ellen Ripley. That's why we're not questioning, like, so what is what's going on here, you know? Uh-huh. And incidentally, we also have Bill Paxton providing some comedy, <laughs> and so it's I, that. That's no matter what we talk about. That's probably going to be what I what I arrive at is that character and character is a function of good writing, good acting, and good direction, and. I guess this fits into writing, like having them do something that fits with the character that's been created. But um, that's what's going to anchor us. And I think it's not – I think – yeah, character is a part of it if that's the movie's um, drive. But I think it really has to do more with, for me, just if you create uh, just an atmosphere or a world within your movie, if a movie is a place that I can invest in and believe in, that it mm-hmm. seems consistent – Right, then I'll, um, I'll buy I'll buy into it. Now, I don't, and that's why Alien works. I mean, mm-hmm. you like unlike Star Wars, which of course, Star Wars is great, yeah, of course. You don't but, want Bill Paxton and Aliens, but you've got Harry Dean Stanton and Yafet Koto. Uh, yeah, and in, you've got Alien, uh, and you've got Tom Skerritt. I think Tom Skerritt's mm-hmm. great in Alien as well. But I'm just in terms of the the comedy. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. You know, Yafet Koto, a- Alien, and uh, Midnight Run. He's a He's a, he's the champ of this episode. He sure he sure is, and he was in uh, James Bond movie where he blows up. Like he, I don't mean he's in he's close to an explosive. I mean his body blows up from the inside because he <laughs> takes some sort of pill. He's also in the Larry the Cable Guy movie Witless Protection. Um, he's still alive. Yeah, yeah, he's still alive, and yet he's in that. And this will anger you. Because okay. it angered me. Okay. And I had to close caption this movie, so I had to watch it in detail. Okay. I think that's the first time you ever acknowledged that, by the way. I think uh, we danced around that for oh. a long time. All right. Yeah, I closed caption that movie. All right. Um, I'm not sure for what. I don't know if you saw my closed captions, uh, if you watched movies with closed captions on. Um, anyway, um, 
Yahoo Koto, that movie. Yahoo Koto is an FBI agent in Wilder's Protection, okay. and his character has the same name as his character in Midnight Run, and that is disgraceful. Well, that's the director saying, like, my friends, I'm kind of the heir apparent. This film is the heir apparent to Midnight Run. Yeah. That's horrible. That's it, very frustrating. Yeah, it's disgusting. You're a fan of Piranha 3D, right? Time. I don't know if I'm a fan. You know where I'm headed, right? Wait. Richard Dreyfuss's character, who, wear, who wears all the same things as he does in Jaws, and his character's name is Matt, uh-huh. and he's fishing, and then he dies. Part of me is just like, that is not how Matt Hooper died, thank you. <laughs> how do you know? Because, because this movie doesn't exist in the same reality as Jaws. <laughs> so frustrating. Um, <clears throat> but he's a good sport for wanting to do it. Yeah. You know, at Comic-Con, during the Q&A, someone asked Spielberg what he thought of that scene, and he managed to completely dodge the question and talk about because it was at the Adventures of Tintin Q&A so we managed to spin it into talking about 3D oh okay yeah, good for him and didn't and no not good for him I want to hear what he thinks of that scene um and there's another there's another example of uh something that I don't think does it right like it is so that Piranha 3D is so tongue in cheek that I think because it's possible to do horror comedy in a way that is both scary and both and funny um, you need you. It's a balancing act. You got to do it right. Hold but on, like, I can think of two that do it right. Yeah. Okay. Evil Dead and Scream. Oh, okay. Oddly enough, I didn't think of those two. Behind the Mask. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, I think Good. Shaun of the Dead at times is genuinely frightening. Yeah. You know what? I think you're right. Yeah. And, Shaun of the Dead would be on there. And I think uh, Zombieland has moments yeah, of of like tension, and I do find it funny. Ghostbusters in that movie. Bill Murray, <laughs> um, but uh, that's a spoiler. Oh, damn. I, think, I think people know by now. Yeah, yeah, it's been a while. But um, now you never saw. Well, what were we talking about? I felt like I had oh. more to say about it. Well, we were, oh, we were talking about uh, Piranha 3D, and I said that I didn't oh. uh, care for it. You know, you know what? But I don't know that it is. Um, that tongue in cheek is the right word, because I think that's what I was expecting going in. But I don't think the movie is actually like. Um, super uh like extra postmodern or like i don't think it's commenting on um uh, on on its on its genre so i even though yeah, it has tongue in cheek might be a little too highfalutin <laughs> for <laughs> no this. i what i mean is that i think it is it's it's committed and it's it's exaggerated so i guess in some ways you could call it satire but it's not that either. Right. Satire yeah. says that there's something here to be satirized. I think it's actually kind of... Yeah, you're right. I don't think tongue-in-cheek is right. I think it's kind of celebrating... Yeah, that's a good what, way to what put that it. is. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. But that's the thing is I think it goes so far in that celebration that it forgets that, like, to to be genuinely frightening. Like, there's gross stuff in it, like the girl yeah, getting I mean, her scalp ripped off. That's but, a like, whole subgenre of horror. Yeah. The, the just gory stuff that I'm not I'm not a big fan of if that's all it is and that's why Prana 3D I guess I think I am glad I saw it and I think that um, just the 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 sheer scale of the mayhem in that movie mm-hmm. um, I think you have to give what's his name Alexander Aja the uh, director I don't remember I think you have to give him, give him some credit I'll probably never watch it again because right. I think 
I felt like I had post-traumatic stress disorder when I left the movie. I just, yeah. I like felt sick to my stomach. I didn't, I, I did, I didn't feel good about what I just watched. But I'm still glad I saw it. But yeah, I mean the part, yeah, the the scalp thing. But all the part leading up to it, where the guy steals the boat and is trying to get away, and he's just running over people. He's just killing yeah. people left and right thoughtlessly and like but the way in which like the way in which they die is actually surprisingly realistic right like just yeah. them thumping against the yeah. hull of the boat yeah yeah it, it's it's sickening it's sickening and it, and that that level of realism i feel like doesn't belong in that film like hey what huh what am i watching funny games all of a sudden yeah. like that'll that brings me to one of my worst least uh i guess hybrid people don't think of it as a hybrid but west craven's last house on the left okay is have you ever seen it? I never saw it. Don't see it. It's it doesn't aw- seem like horrible. my kind of thing. It's I'll watch horrible. Virgin Spring. That's fine. Um, there you go. Uh, it's you know it's it's a brutal film. You mm-hmm. know it's uh, so straightforward about the like it's just awful. Mm-hmm. But then there's the sheriff and his deputy character that are like just unbelievably bumbling. Com- it's like you're watching Smoking the Bandit all of a sudden. Yeah. It is. It makes the film even more unpleasant. Instead of, like, cutting the tension where it was supposed to be, it's like, you can't have this kind of comedy after we just watch this, like, long, like, practically cinema verite style, like, unbroken take of someone getting raped. You you can't... That's not going to work. Right. Comic relief is perfectly acceptable in certain kinds of horror, not this kind of horror, you know. I mean, if you had one uh, – to go back to uh, Funny Games, which I recognize is not straight-up horror, but it's pretty horrific. Mm-hmm. You know, if you had somebody slipping on a banana peel, <laughs> right. it's just like, you know, there's a place for it, but not here. Um, but uh, – uh, Well, <coughs> I want to talk me. about a couple other movies uh, okay. get, to get away from the um, the comedy thing. And we're going to – we are going to wrap up soon. Um I didn't want this episode to be just a list of movies, but there's some movies that I want to talk about because they're, um, if not completely unique, they're a rare style. Um, one of them is um, Robert Rodriguez from Dust Till Dawn. Okay. Which is both a crime movie and, I don't know if you'd call it horror. It's I... a crime movie and an action movie, a supernatural action movie, but I don't know that it has, I guess it does have some horror in it. I it's, I guess so I, in the in the sense that it's like it's very ugly frightening looking vampires doing grotesque horrific things yeah, but even if the, I'm not scared while I'm watching it yeah there's not the suspense dread like right. scary thing that we talked about when we talked about suspense versus horror um but the thing is it's essentially an action movie the whole time that has horror as well in its second half you know what I mean yeah yeah because if you I mean. I think uh, most people probably recognize this, but if you don't, watch the movie again. The Literally, there are no vampires until the second half of the movie. Right. Um, there's no hint of him. It's just like, it's crazy. It comes out of nowhere. Yeah. And if you've ever, I know at this point it's probably way too late, but if you've never experienced the joy of watching From Dust Till Dawn with someone who literally has no idea what it's about, just run out and do it. you got to do it. And, and that's, I don't know so if there's... Great. I feel like with From Dust Till Dawn, there's the possibility that could happen, that mm-hmm. someone does, doesn't know what it's about. But between, like, George Clooney and Quentin Tarantino and stuff, I feel like almost anybody... I feel like they would think it's a vampire movie, which kind of spoils it. No, I no, they'd, I saw... Back in high school, I rented it on VHS. Where I'd already seen it a number of times. But I was... This, uh, like, uh, girl that I was hanging out with, she, like... We were just kind of 
uh, rent a movie and go to her her house. Uh, her parents had this awesome basement, huge screen, surround mm-hmm. sound. And I was like, um, I was like, oh, have you heard of uh, From Dust Till Dawn? She she hadn't. She wasn't a movie person. This was mm-hmm. still high school. The movie had only been out maybe two years, maybe three. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're we're watching it, and then Selma Hayek turns into a vampire, and like. I was so in the movie that I, like, forgot that she didn't know what was happening. And so there's, like, vampires. And it, there's a few minutes of the vampires, and I hear this this girl, she's, like, sitting to my right, and she's like, what is going on? <laughs> <laughs> what did you bring me to? <laughs> um, I think she liked it, but it's, like, it it is so surprising. Well, and when you think about it, like, it's... I think it's probably impossible for anybody. I mean, the movie is called Psycho. That, that'll tell you something. Right. But can you imagine? Can you imagine going to see that movie, seeing a lead actress who who is a lead, and right. and you're following the suspense? Oh, she's stolen something, and now a regular person has done something illegal and is on the run. Not at all unusual for Hitchcock uh-huh. at all. Yeah. And. And then this thing happens, and not only is it a change of character, it's a change of genre. Yeah. And I, it's one of those things, like, there are times when I, I just, like, I wish I could see certain things for the first time with a completely clean slate. I mean, the movie's called Psycho, but at the t- even at the time, did you really know what that, did people really know what that meant? Not right. to say it was, like, a, a sim- more simplistic time, but the, I, I, I guarantee you the movie's responsible for people throwing the word around, like, <laughs> that guy's a psycho. Right. Um, and so it's, I don't know, like, th- that to me is so, the concept is so exhilarating. Uh-huh. And, it, and I can watch Psycho, and I, I can still enjoy it, and it still is, you know... Martin Balsam walking up those stairs is still like pulse pounding and yeah. and even the form coming towards the shower is is, is mm-hmm. still I know what happens but it's still like oh it's so well constructed but just like what w- what would it have been like to just experience that completely fresh yeah I don't know it's that that to me is like such a in that it's a mix of genre but it's also a just a a change of genre yeah halfway through well uh another one that i want to talk about before we wrap up that also the ship has definitely sailed on on this one you can't there's no way you could surprise someone with this because everyone knows um and also is one that i think is so much in the public conscious that people don't really think about it but uh predator is just it's just a schwarzenegger action movie a right better than average one but it's just a jungle action movie for about its first half i mean i think if you know then when you go back you see like things like the skinned bodies hanging and you know that's right that's foreshadowing but if you're watching it for the first time it's just an action movie for about its first half yeah and it's and it's not you said like it's it's an arnold schwarzenegger action movie it's like commando yeah, but it's we, better we than have, Commando. It's better than Commando. I mean, John McTiernan was kind of in his groove at that, at that very, point. Uh, very much so. But as far as audiences know, it's like, oh, man, Carl Weathers is in this. It's just this, you know, it's a team of commandos who are going in and uh, they're going to, you know, there seems to be something a little shady and political going on. And the film does such a good job of setting up the espionage and the the betrayal the betrayal has nothing to do with the alien at uh-huh. all they don't know it's not like yeah we uh, we actually knew the whole time that this alien was in here and we wanted to send you to collect it like an aliens or, or alien um it wasn't that it's a total misdirect uh-huh. 
and and it is one of those things. I, I'm okay. I'm dumb. Here's the thing. I have watched Predator in the last couple of years with people that have not seen it, uh-huh. and I, in spite of the fact that the that the Predator is on the cover of my DVD. And also like, the people like, and I mean, everyone just knows it now. People know. That, I mean, you hear, you hear the word predator. I think a lot yeah. of people are going to think of alien before they think of like, yeah, yeah, the, the what the word means. And so, but nonetheless, I still don't. I still don't like want to give it away. It's uh-huh. like they know it, Tyler. Come on, <laughs> but I, but I still refuse to. Much in the same way as when I uh, when I uh, spoilers, I guess history of violence. When I describe it. To people and I'm trying to like kind of say, I worked at a video store when it came out on DVD and when I would describe it to people I never said that he actually was this person and I realized Tyler you're working against the title of the film <laughs> they probably got it yeah. and I was just like oh yeah well, oh well I'm going to continue with my ruse I have um, I've given in to the idea that this year's Midnight in Paris most people now know what happens in it but I didn't when I first saw it, and I think that, that that not knowing is a great treat. I didn't I didn't know either. Yeah, uh, and so I still, even though I think most people know, I I try not to talk about it just in case. Yeah, because I think it's 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 worth going in not knowing. Uh, yeah, not knowing what happens, and it's re- and it's recent enough that I think you'll find people that don't know it, and because it's not. The twist is not an unheard of thing for Woody Allen, but given the kind of movie that it starts out being, that that seems like a pretty regular Woody Allen movie too. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I think I think uh, listeners, if you if you don't know the 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 twist, and it's not an end of the movie twist, it's yeah, it's I think about that's halfway why, through. Well, I think why people have I think it's less than halfway through. I think it's half hour in. Um, yeah, probably at, at at most. I mean, it's not a very long film, so I'd probably yeah. say twenty twenty five minutes in is when uh, it first happens. And I think maybe because it's not an end of the movie twist, people have been more comfortable talking about it. Yeah, and I guess in theory, like even if you don't, even if you're not looking to find out what the story is about, you could even just look at the cast list and see the names of some of the characters yeah. and be like, uh, okay. Which is why when I, if you go back, uh, and I suggest you do, go to battleshipretention.com and look up my review from back when it came out. I don't say. Yeah, uh, I'm very cagey in that review about about the plot. I'm, when I when I read your review, review, I remember I didn't. I don't think I used the word cagey to myself, but I, I remember thinking like, it's kind of. I mean, I, I get his vibe. I, I understand what the f- film feels like and that David liked it, but I really don't know what it's about. Yeah. And that, and part of me... Well, I, think, I think I do that. I've... This is kind of off, to- off topic, but I have, like, forced myself... Because I told you when I write reviews, I outline them first. Mm-hmm. And now I force myself at some point to put a note in there that says plot. Because I found that I will often write reviews... Um, that are that, and I don't know if this is necessarily a bad thing, but don't give any sense of what the actual story of the movie is. I, yes, I, I find that I do that as well. I will either give way too much plot, mm-hmm. and then a paragraph of yeah, and this is what I thought of it, or it's just a sentence, and then it's like, and here's the absolute minutia that no one finds important. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I think I think Midnight in Paris is a good uh, good example of what you're talking about, and that it, it does. <coughs> It's. It is still. It remains a, a comedy throughout. So that yeah. doesn't change. But I won't say what is layered on uh, about twenty five minutes in. I won't yeah. say that. But it does it very well. 
Who's funnier in the movie, Michael Sheen or Adrian Brody? I think Sheen, personally. I, I think he is, too. But Adrian Brody only really has one scene. Yeah. And he knocks it out of the park. Yeah. It is a great scene. He never stri- struck me as the type that would be good at comedy. Well, so. um, we have to wrap up because you're other co-host uh for your other podcast i'm sorry my 1015 is here uh so uh well that was a good uh segue i mentioned battleship which is where you should go as always uh for reviews uh now the the friday before this episode came out there wasn't a whole lot coming out in the theater i don't think we actually have any new reviews Mm -hmm. for that week but of course there's always um other you know uh, features and, and older reviews and home video reviews and all that kind of stuff. But um, this coming week, the 13th, there's all all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, well, um, I know uh, Lynn Ramsey's We Need to Talk About Kevin, which has been out here for a few weeks, uh, opens much wider um, this Friday. Uh, so go and search for that that review. We'll have a review of um, Felita Lloyd's um, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, The Iron Lady. We'll have a review of Baltazar Cormacor's Contraband. Oh, yeah. Um, and I mentioned the director's name specifically because I didn't realize that he directed it, and I've seen two of his Icelandic films, One on One Reykjavik, which I liked a lot, and The Sea, which I kind of liked. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I'm weirdly uh, interested in Contraband, which is a January release that I hadn't given any thought to until earlier today when I realized I'd Do you give any? I, I give no thoughts to January releases. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm a little interested in Haywire, but yeah, mostly. Oh, Haywire, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but also, um, Kirk Wise and Jerry uh, Charlesdale's Beauty and the Beast 3D mm-hmm. uh, will be out. We'll have a review of that and a review of uh, Xavier Gens' The Divide. I think I'm looking at the guy who wrote the review right now. Um <laughs> or or maybe not. Maybe he wrote a, di- wrote a different one. Um, oh, and then also, um, in the in the spirit of it uh, being the beginning of of uh, this year and the end of last year, uh, our bloggers are period each. It's not all going to be on the same day like it is on the AV, on the AV Club. Sorry, everybody. But um, we're getting uh, each of our bloggers uh, ten favorite movies of uh, 2011. Yeah, and, and we'll, we're uh, posting that periodically. As of right now, Daniels is Daniels up and is Matt's up. is up. Matt's is up, and, so. and and we'll parcel out a few more. And then, as usual, in case you're maybe new in the past year, um, because Tyler and I are part time critics, we like to, and you know weirdly obsessive compulsive about stuff we like to be as caught up as possible um and so we wait until the week before the oscars when it's sort mm-hmm. of back in everyone's minds i think the, right. the best movies of the year and um so we will do our top 10 uh the sunday it'll become uh, the episode will post the sunday night a week before the oscars mm-hmm. uh other than that you can um always listen to the podcast from the website or on itunes write us a review on itunes that, that would help donate on the website that would really help we'd love that um you can email us uh david at battleship or tyler at battleship you can follow me on twitter at the pretension or follow tyler on twitter at more lessons which is the official twitter of his other podcast more than one lesson which you can get at more than one lesson.com and you can find my other podcast the weekly television review show previously on at previously on show.com all right. Uh, so hopefully everybody enjoyed this episode. Um, thanks for listening, and we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.